Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Newton podcast. This podcast seeks to share the truth of God's Word through the sermons and other teachings of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope these episodes will be a blessing to you and your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you love road trips? Raise your hand. About about half, about half of us. Now, I love road trips because usually the place you're going is a fun place, a place you want to be. You're going to see go see family, friends, or something amazing like the Grand Canyon. But often, the, my favorite part of the trip is the one that most people dread. It's the time in the car. It's the actual road trip of the road trip. I love that. I love that because I get the opportunity to sing some of my favorite songs without a big crowd, hearing how bad I am at singing. So Danny just has to put up with it, and that's fine. But I love that. I get the opportunity to talk with those with me on the trip, like Danny. She has to put up with that as well. I get the opportunity to catch up on podcasts that I haven't been able to listen to for a while. I get the opportunity to see places I haven't ever seen on the way. But if I dreaded that part of the journey, if I dreaded the journey itself and didn't take advantage of the opportunities to do those things that I love because I was only focused on the destination, I would be missing out on so much joy. And I think we often get the same type of mindset about life in general as we do road trips, where we can only focus on the destination. We have a destination in mind for our life, whether that's working towards a degree, whether that's working towards getting a spouse, whether it's we want a family, we want to buy a house, we want to get promoted in our job, and then eventually we want to retire, we want to go on vacations, Or we even just get this mindset where we only are looking forward to seeing Jesus, which is not a bad thing to have our minds on, but if we're only focused on those things, we'll miss out on the opportunities on the journey to do things that will bring us joy and even bring about good for others. If we're only focusing on the destination and not taking the opportunities on the journey to enjoy life and to do good for other people, to love them, then we're missing out. In our text this morning, we're going to find Paul on a journey. In fact, he's heading back to finish his third missionary journey. He won't finish it this morning, but that's what he's doing. He's being led by the Spirit to go back to Jerusalem and then eventually go on to Rome. But he's not so focused on the destination that he misses the opportunities in front of him, the opportunities to love his brothers and sisters on the journey. This morning, we're going to see through Paul the need we have to take the opportunities to love on our own journey. There are two reasons we're going to see in the text that reveal why we need to take those opportunities to love. The first is because those around us, their lives are short. They are so short. The second is because our lives are short and they're coming ever closer to the end. Then we're going to see in the text not only why we ought to take the opportunities, but how we take those opportunities. How do we love in those opportunities on the journey? The first is by preaching the gospel of life. The second is by preparing and warning others 
of wolves coming. That's what Paul does in the text. Now, if you would, read with me Acts chapter 20. We're going to read the whole thing, so follow along. Don't get lost. Acts chapter 20. After the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying farewell, departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, he came to Greece and stayed three months. The Jews plotted against him when he was about to set sail for Syria, so he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread. In five days we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled, and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, Don't be alarmed, because he's alive. After going upstairs, breaking the bread, and eating, Paul talked a long time until dawn. Then he left. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul on board, because these were his instructions, since he himself was going by land. When he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. Sailing from there, the next day we arrived off Chios, the following day we crossed over to Samos, and the day after we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came, th came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. 
Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. After he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now I know that was a lot. There's a lot of names in there, a lot of traveling, two completely different stories. And so you may be wondering, how in the world does this fit together? I thought the same thing at the beginning. But we see here that Paul takes opportunities to love on the journey. And we see it, first of all, because others' lives are short. There are two main stories in our text that highlight the reality that Paul takes every opportunity to love on the journey. But even before we get to the first story, we are in the journey part of the text. And we see from the beginning, Paul takes every opportunity he has to love on his journey. Paul, after the disturbance that the way caused in Eph- the way of Jesus caused in Ephesus, you remember last week they were rioting, dragging people into the amphitheater, and they were shouting, "Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!" After all that happened, Paul sends for the disciples of Ephesus because he's about to leave Ephesus, and before he leaves, he wants to tell them not only goodbye, but he wants to encourage them one more time. He has the opportunity to encourage them again, to love them again, and he takes it. He's about to embark on this extremely long journey, yet he has on display for us his love for the church in Ephesus. He loves them dearly. And in his encouragement, no doubt, he would have sought to love them by preaching the gospel of life to them one more time and telling them to remain faithful and steadfast in their belief that the Lord Jesus is the Messiah. That's no doubt what he would have been telling them as he prepares to leave them for the last time in his life. Then he leaves Ephesus, we see, but he still is on his way to his destination. And even before we get to the first story with Eutychus, we see again that he passes through Macedonia and he takes the opportunities to love his brothers and sisters by offering them many words of encouragement. Again, this without a doubt would have been encouraging words centered on the gospel of Jesus. Everything he would have told them would have started and ended with the gospel. How do you live in light of the gospel? How do you preach the gospel? What do we do in this scenario, Paul? Well, here's what you do because of the gospel. Paul could not help but take every opportunity to love on his journey and display the love Jesus had for him in the gospel. But now, we get to our first story. And the first story truly shows us why the first reason that Paul takes every opportunity to love on his journey. And it's because people's lives are shorter than they often think. People die unexpectedly every day, and Paul knows that. 
And those in Troas will see that on full display. Luke recounts the story of Eutychus in verses 7 to 12. Look what happens in this story that I thought at first was so random. Why was this here in this travel narrative? And then he goes and talks to the Ephesian elders. Why do we have this story here? But it's here because Paul is taking the opportunity to love. Paul gathers together with fellow believers in Troas. It's his last night there before he continues on in his journey. He spent seven days with them. They gather together, likely in a house, to break bread. They're celebrating the Lord's Supper together. They're proclaiming and remembering Jesus' body being broken and blood being poured out for them. The gospel is saturating this gathering. And along with this visible display of the gospel in the Lord's Supper, we see Paul keeps on talking until midnight. So I hope you brought your snacks. We'll be here for a while. Not really. I don't have enough to say. (laughs) But Paul did. He had plenty to say. He had a very short time with them. He was continuing on his journey. He had a time crunch. But he had an opportunity to love them. And so he takes it. He could have used this time for rest. He needed to leave the next morning. He should have said, it's 8 o'clock. I'm going to bed I'll see you in the morning before I leave, but we're done for the night. But he doesn't do that. He takes the opportunity. He forsakes his rest. He loves the people, and he preaches and teaches to the people in light of the gospel. And he shares with them how the gospel impacts life. He was telling them the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, the gospel that brings life where there was death. And they were about to see that in full force, that the gospel of Jesus brings life. Just like the disciple named Thomas. Anybody know what Thomas is known for? Doubting, right? Doubting Thomas. He will never get over that until likely we get to heaven. Everybody is just going to remember Thomas as the disciple who doubted. Well, Eutychus is going to be the same way. He's only going to be known from here until we get to Jesus in eternity as the one who fell asleep as Paul was preaching and died. That's what he's going to be known for. He fell asleep during the Apostle Paul's sermon and teaching time. Can you believe that? Of all the preachers to fall asleep to, it's not like it's me preaching, because that's okay. Like, well, what do I have to say? This is the Apostle Paul. He's preaching, one of the greatest preachers ever, and he falls asleep. It does make me feel a little better to know that Paul did that too. (laughs) But not only... Does Eutychus fall asleep? He falls asleep in a windowsill at night and falls out of the window to his death. He died. As Paul was preaching, he died. They get down there. They pick him up dead. He is not faking. He fell out of a third-story window and died. But Paul, however... Heads down with him. He gets down there. And as he's been doing and will continue to do, takes the opportunity to love. He embraces, he bends down, he embraces the young Eutychus and brings him back to life. That's incredible. Jesus, through Paul, has raised to life that which was dead. This event for us, as we read it, and those in attendance there would have 
highlighted what Paul already knew. Others' people's lives are short and death can come at any moment, even during a sermon. And again, this is why Paul does what he does. This is why he does what he does next, even. Paul just raised a man to life that was dead. You would think he would say, all right, can't top it, we're done. You get it now, right? But he doesn't. He go back upstairs. They continue to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And Paul continues to love them by preaching and teaching the gospel and all its implications for life until dawn. Why did he do that? Why? Paul, you just taught till midnight. A guy died. You raised him to life. You have to leave in the morning. And you stayed up until dawn just to teach us. Just to preach the gospel to us. Why did you do that? Because Paul knew that in that moment, they would not fall asleep again, for one. But they would be hanging on his every word. They, for the, maybe the first time or in a new way, would believe all the more in the gospel of life that he preached because they just witnessed the power of the one whose gospel it is. The one that can bring the dead to life. And so he didn't waste the opportunity to love. He seized it. Because that happens. People die every day. And so... He didn't need to sleep. He needed to get them the gospel. He needed them to understand it. He needed them to believe it. Because he was leaving. He wasn't going to be there to tell them the next day. And the next day, they might not be there. They might be dead. So he seized the opportunity. Paul knew the truth that people were perishing without Jesus every day. That their lives were short So he took the opportunity to love by preaching the gospel of Jesus that brings life where there was death. We ought to do the same, right? People are dying every day. Like we had a huge wreck on Highway 50 the other day. Nobody died, praise the Lord, but it could have been very different They could have died. They needed to hear the gospel before that happened. Thankfully, they still have a chance if they don't know Jesus yet. But that's why Paul is taking every opportunity. Not saying, I need rest because I've got a big journey. But saying, I need you to hear the gospel from me. I need to tell you that. And you need to hear it and know it and believe it. Now we pick back up in the journey that Paul is on. He leaves Troas and Eutychus behind, and he's heading to his goal, Jerusalem, in time for Pentecost. He's on a time crunch. He's got to get there before Pentecost. But he continues on to make sure that he takes every opportunity to love. And he does so not just because other lives are short. That's not the only reason he does it, but because his life is short as well. His life is coming to an end. Paul sails past Ephesus so he doesn't get delayed there, which likely would have happened. He spent almost three years with this church, with these people, these dearly loved brothers and sisters. Had he gone back there, it would have been extremely hard for him to then leave and get to Jerusalem in time. So he sails past Ephesus, 
But he calls the pastors, the elders of the church in Ephesus, to meet him in Miletus. And when these elders get to Paul, he takes the opportunity to love them by pouring out his heart to them. He recounts his time with them, the almost three years he spent with them. He tells them from how the first day there and for the whole time he was there, he served the Lord among them with humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to him. He was continually serving the Lord from the first day to the last day. He took the opportunities. He's already setting the tone for us that he wasted no opportunities while he was among them. Every day he served the Lord among them. But then he continues on and shows us how he loved them the most. How did Paul go about loving them and taking the opportunity to love them? It says he proclaimed everything that was profitable for them publicly and house to house. He was making sure that there was no excuse that someone didn't hear about it. Publicly proclaiming everything profitable. House to house, privately proclaiming everything that's profitable to them. And he says he testified to everyone specifically about their need to repent and put their faith in the Lord Jesus. He's preaching the gospel. Every day he did this. And then we see the biggest reason that Paul did that. Why he's continuing to love these people. He knows what we all need to know. That our lives are short. Just as everyone else's life is short and could end at any moment, our life is short and could end at any moment. Paul knows his life is coming to an end. He knows his days of serving the Lord Jesus on this side of heaven are closing and closing quickly. The Holy Spirit, he says, has been compelling Paul to go to Jerusalem on this journey, but he's also been revealing to him that chains and afflictions are waiting for him. They're waiting for him. Paul's not going to be surprised about his fate. He knows it's coming. Yet, this does not deter Paul. He continues on the journey. He doesn't say, well, if chains and afflictions are this way, I'm going to go that way. No, he continues on. It moves him to take every opportunity then, again, to love. Every opportunity to love on his journey says he considers his life of no value for himself, but instead his only purpose in his life, his whole purpose in life is to finish the course, to run the race before him, to do as he encouraged others to do, be faithful in the ministry and fulfilling your ministry that you've received from the Lord. Ultimately, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That's what his goal was. That's what his life has been for. That's what he's going to give his life in doing. Paul tells these brothers in Christ, these pastors of a beloved church he spent three years with, that they would never see him again in this life. Yet, he's able to say he's innocent of their blood. He's innocent. There's nothing that anyone could ever say and say, Paul, you didn't do a good enough job. That person that died without the gospel in Ephesus, your fault. You didn't tell him because that's not true. He told everybody and anybody that would listen publicly, house to house. He is innocent of their blood because he loved them enough 
to take the opportunities he had to declare, to declare to them the whole plan of God. That's what he says. The whole plan. That from the beginning, from before the beginning, God planned to redeem for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And that he did it by the blood of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, shed on the cross, on a cursed cross, and that he raised him to life, everlasting life, and he guaranteed it for those who also believe in him. Paul declared all of it, the whole plan of God, to them from the first day he was there to the last day he was there. And now, this is his last opportunity to love them. This is his final opportunity to love them, to love these elders, to encourage them to love the church there. And so he loves them and he tells them not only the gospel, but he also warns them to watch out for the wolves that are coming. Watch out for the wolves. He tells them be on guard not only for themselves, but for the flock that the Holy Spirit's appointed them as overseers of. He loves them and the flock and the church and encourages them to shepherd the church of God, which was purchased by the chief shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. He's encouraging them to do the same. Watch out for the sheep. You're the shepherd. The great shepherd, the chief shepherd, died for those sheep. Protect those sheep. Love them. He's calling them to do what pastors must do. Keep the wolves away. And Paul tells them wolves are coming from outside of them, but also inside. From within their own number, wolves will rise up. And they're going to seek to devour the flock. They will not spare any of them. They're going to try to lure the disciples into following them. Lure them away from Jesus and the gospel. And you know what? Paul is right. Wolves did come. In his letter to the Ephesians, he tells them that they're in a spiritual battle. Put on the full armor of God. Don't fall in line with the evildoers. They're there. They came. And then in Revelation 2, Jesus affirms it as well. This is what it says, Revelation 2.2. 2. Jesus, speaking to the church in Ephesus, says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. Paul warns the Ephesian elders here that wolves are coming, and they took his advice. They took his warning They stopped the wolves. And Jesus commends them for it. Paul's whole desire here is that these elders, like himself, would take every opportunity to love their people on their journey. Paul also says here that he did not stop. That night and day, he never stopped warning the people there with tears. Just like he did in Troas, staying up all night and into the morning. Paul, night and day while in Ephesus, did not stop. He never stopped warning the people. Paul loved this church so much that he preached the gospel of life to them night and day. He warned them with tears that they needed to repent and believe to be saved from the wrath of God that will be poured out on the disobedient. That's what he wrote to them in the letter as well. 
That you were once that children of you were once children of wrath, but now because of God you don't have to be. Night and day he warned them, wrath is coming unless you repent and believe. Night and day never stopped loving them in that way. And he wants these elders to do the same. Paul then gave his final act of love to these elders and to the church. He committed committed these men called by God to God himself. He committed them to the word of his grace, the gospel, the gospel that was able to build them up, to give them an inheritance among the sanctified. And he even used his own example among them to encourage them to not be a burden on the weak or to be overcome with greed. It says he didn't covet gold or silver. He worked with his own hands. He lived in light of Jesus' words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He was encouraging them. He was loving them. Here's what you need to do. You need to do what I did. Follow my example. Love the people. Warn the people. Preach the gospel to the people. Take every opportunity you have to love them. Tell them of Jesus. Warn them of wrath. Show them the good news that they don't have to endure it. He did all of this, took every opportunity, and then the tears started to flow. They knelt down together for the last time to pray. These men of God embraced this man of God for the last time. They kissed him with tear-soaked cheeks, and they were grieved deeply that they were never going to see his face again because his life was short. It was coming to an end. This man that took every single opportunity to love them by preaching the gospel of life to them and warning them of the wolves that were going to come, they had to say goodbye. But Paul could say, I'm innocent. I took the opportunities. I loved you every chance I had. Now do the same for your people. Church, We've learned an immense amount about what it looks like to live for Jesus from the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. But I think this right here may be the biggest lesson for us so far. It was the biggest reality check for my own life that I've seen so far in the book of Acts. Paul took every opportunity he had to love others by preaching the gospel to them, warning them with tears because he knew that their life could end at any moment. And the same was true for his life. With tears he was warning them, please believe, please see Jesus, because I know what will happen if you don't. If we were honest, if I'm honest, we likely can't say we've been taking every opportunity to love on our own journeys. But we must. We must be ready and willing to love those around us by sharing the gospel with them, warning them with tears even if we must. Because their lives are short, they could end at any moment. Every day the people around us, the people that we love, are one day closer to standing before their God, the God that created them, the God that will be their judge. And they need to be told the gospel 
They need to be urged to repent and believe in Jesus before that day comes. Before it's too late. But again, not only are those lives around us too short, your life is too short. Each day, every single day, we are one day closer to the day we will stand before our God. And the days that we have the opportunity to share with our family, our friends, our neighbors of Jesus will be over. It'll be over. Your opportunity to share the gospel with them will be over. So we need to have the same attitude as Paul that our lives are of no value to us, but they are of an immeasurable value to those around us who are perishing. Because we have the gospel and we can share it with them. So hear me. It does not matter our age or occupation. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter whether you're still working, retired, a pastor, something else. It does not matter. We must all finish the course and the ministry we've received from the Lord Jesus, which is like Paul's, to testify of the gospel of God's grace. We've all been given that ministry. I'll end with this story that I heard from a fellow pastor this past week in Omaha that just wrecked me. This was something that happened to him. He was on a mission trip somewhere in Africa and he was tasked with going to this one village and sharing the gospel with them. And in order to do that, he had to first share the gospel with the chief of the village. His name was Chief Mangani. And so he goes up to the chief with his, with his translator and he shares the gospel with them. He tells them of how God created everything, how he breathed it into existence, how he planned from the beginning to send one that would undo what was made wrong with Adam and Eve. He tells them the whole story of the Old Testament. Then he gets to Jesus and, and he tells them that this is the God who created everything. This is the one that was promised that would save us. And he said, when he told him his, the name of Jesus, he, was, he, he just got this biggest grin on his face and he starts saying, Isa, Isa, which is Jesus in, in whatever language he was preaching, whatever language the chief knew. And he was just so excited. And he was like, I finally know the name of my creator. And, and so he continued to share the gospel and he got to the point where he, he gave the invitation, do you want to believe in Jesus? Do you want to be saved by Jesus? And he agreed. He said yes. And he was excited. And he said that after that moment, he one by one took, took him by the hand. And he said, he said, he didn't grab my hand like this, which is normal. He, he called it waffling. He grabbed his hand like this. And he was grabbing it. And he was just swinging his hand back and forth, going from each hut to the next so that everyone in his village would hear the gospel. He was so excited that he had been saved that he wanted everybody else to, to know Jesus. So they go to every house in the village. They share the gospel and many of them believed. Some didn't, but many of them did. But then later that day, as him and the chief were together, the chief asked him a question. You say that, that you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, to be with God. 
What about my parents? What about my parents? And he had to share with them the crushing news that if they didn't know Jesus, then they aren't with God. And then he asked him the, the, the real question that got me. How long have you known? How long have you known this story? How long have you known of Jesus? How long? How long? Is it new? Did it just happen? Is it 100 years old? No. It's 2,000 years that we've known. Just how long have you known? You know the gospel. You know it. I know it. Let's share it so that we don't have to answer that question. How long have you known? Why didn't you come sooner? What about my family? What about my parents? What about my kids? How long have you known? You know it. Share the gospel. Take the opportunity while you have it. You know it. Share it. Take the opportunities to love on your life's journey while you can and while they can still hear it. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this recording of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope that the biblical truths presented in this podcast will help you in your walk with Jesus. If you do not have a church home, we invite you to join us here at 1045 on Sunday mornings. You can find the church address as well as other information about our church at ibcnewton.org. Whether you are able to join us here in person or not, we hope that you will find a Bible-believing church near you to join as you continue to follow Jesus.